Good morning, Community Church. Today we conclude our series in Proverbs. And this has been very much a discipleship series. It has been a series intended to help you lead yourself. And then the other added piece of this is, and I want you to think right now, as you have learned and grown and listened to the Lord, is there anything in this series where you would think to yourself, man, not only have I grown, not only have I grown in self-leadership, I honestly think that with God's help, I might be able to come alongside somebody else. I might be able to mentor or coach, or here's the word, to disciple somebody else, particularly when it comes to the way of the wise and the way of the fool. Next week, we're gonna launch a brand new series that really is us just going further down the path of the way of the wise. And we're gonna share with you six macro principles of being a disciple, being a follower, of Jesus Christ. It's going to be extremely pragmatic and you'll find that as we go through each of these six weeks, there's just truth in there that is immediately applicable for your life. So question, how has this gone for you? When you think about the way of the fool and the way of the wise, how has this gone for you? I trust that there are some of you here and in a wonderful way, God has shown you, I've been going down the way of the fool and that you've been awakened to that and, and had a realization about that. And maybe with God's help, you've been able to reorient your own life and come away and come off of that path. For others of you, you've actually realized, I'm actually in a great spot. I've been going down in my life the way of the wise. But what I wonder is, has the Holy Spirit helped you uh, to say, okay, here's a next step. Because I don't know that we ever arrive at a perfect destination. There's always room to grow when it comes to wisdom. And I hope that you've been taking those next steps and growing in a life of wisdom. By way of summary in this final week, I wanna just do a quick trek down both of these paths. So right now, let's take a look at the way of the fool. It starts off with kind of stepping stone number one, and that is the simple man or the simple woman. This person is naive, they are gullible, and they have an inability to have kind of forward thinking in their life. Stepping stone number two is folly. This person lacks judgment, they lack discipline, and they are easily led astray. Stepping stone number three is the slothful person. This person is lazy, they make excuses for everything, nothing is their fault, and what the slothful person will find out is they can look back at years of their life and they'll say, I have nothing to show. I have nothing to, to show for how I have lived my life during this period of time. The fourth stepping stone is the mocker. And this is getting into the red zone. This is not a good place to be. Extremely cynical, points the fingers at others, un an unwillingness to listen to anybody else and arrogance and pride begins to creep into this person's life. And then today, the final stepping stone is an outright fool. A fool is actually perverse in their thinking. And they must, they demand to be the boss of their own life. Nobody can tell a fool anything because they won't listen. And there is very little hope for a fool. And then there's the very end destination of the way of the fool, the path of the fool. And that is judgment. That is death. And nobody wants that. And yet all of us know of people who have sauntered their way through life down each of those stepping stones and you would look at them and you would say, their life is a display of this kind of foolishness 
And then the truth is, we've actually all dabbled. We've all put our toe into the water of the way of the fool. We've all looked at folly and mockery. We've all lacked sense and good judgment. We've all had those moments in our life where we're like, I don't want to listen to anyone else. I don't care if they're right or not. And we want to make sure that we're getting away from that with God's help. A quick look at the other path, that is the way of the wise. First stepping stone here is knowledge. This is the person who is willing and wanting to learn and grow. And we said in week number one that God is the source of all truth. And so that becomes very central to the person who's engaging and pursuing knowledge. The second stepping stone is wisdom. This is a person who says, look, I'm grateful for the knowledge and I've certainly pursued that. Now I'm going to apply that. I'm going to put it into action. There's a sense of a commitment of your will and your heart to that knowledge to make it come to bear in your life. Third stepping stone in the way of the wise is understanding. Listening to instruction, listening to correction. This is a person who's beginning to look at people and situations, sometimes that are very difficult, but now they have an ability to say, you know, I can distinguish what would be the right course here. I can perceive the best way to speak, the best way to think. And that's beginning to creep into that person's life. Step number four is discernment. This is a person now has a few years of experience of wisdom under their belt. And so this person is now, much like we just said at the beginning of the sermon, they're saying, I, I want to help and come alongside and mentor and coach and disciple somebody else. I have the ability to say, there's a pitfall coming my way. I'm going to avoid that. Or they have the ability to say, I know what would be wise in this situation. I can see that this would be a good and beneficial way for me to, to speak. These would be well-chosen words, or maybe I should say nothing here. And that's that kind of wisdom coming to bear. And then this last week, and it's the final week right here, where we're going to be today looking at prudence. And this really is, and it's a whole lifetime, where you are now becoming shrewd. You're filled with wisdom and you're influencing others for the kingdom of God. The end destination of the way of the wise is reward, and it is life. I want to wrap up this series today by showing you from the book of Proverbs a prime example of a wise person, a prudent person. And then I'm also going to show you a perfect example from the book of Proverbs of a complete and outright fool. And I want this to serve as an unmistakable illustration for you to say, okay, I totally want to avoid that. I don't want to be that person. And I know that I, I want to set my sights. I want to aim the trajectory of my life towards this uh, person of wisdom, this prudent man or this prudent woman. And as the Bible would have it, this is somewhat funny, but as the Bible would have it, check out the genders that it gives to the most ultimate example of a fool and the ultimate example of a prudent person. As the Bible would have it, check this out, guys. The best example of a fool is a guy or a girl. It's a man. Oh, no. And the best example of someone who is wise is... Did you see that? It is a woman, so uh, we may pay for this one, lads. Um, 
but do that as you will. Let me show you right now the perfect picture of a complete fool. It's Proverbs chapter 7. If you're in your Bibles, we're going to actually go through most of this chapter together. Incredible story. Watch this young man. He is filled with foolishness. Uh, it starts off, My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Now, very, very important to realize in chapter seven, the author of the book of Proverbs is a, a fellow by the name of Solomon, one of the kings of Israel. He's writing these words and what he's gonna describe, he's gonna show you that he's looking at a young foolish man. So what I want you to notice is this is something that Solomon sees right in front of him. Verse six, for at the window of my house, this is Solomon, I have looked out through my lattice and I have seen among the simple. I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. This young man has a problem. This young man is filled with foolishness. For him, specifically in this example, it's actually lust. He has purposefully, deliberately gone down the wrong road. Verse eight, it says, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. Do you see what he's doing deliberately? This foolishness, it's gonna bring you to the wrong place at the wrong time. It will take a hold of you so that you deliberately engage in the wrong thing to do. Again, in this example, it's lust. And he's going when it's dark, twilight, evening, darkness, that's when it's gonna happen for him. Verse 10, behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Foolishness is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him and with bold face, she says to him, now watch this, because this is the enemy actually kind of showing you his hand. And we actually talked about this a few weeks ago. This kind of foolishness and this sin of lust, it will try to come at you and surprise you. It will try to shock you. As a follower of Christ, I want you to hear this. When you find yourself going through life, and something comes that is ungodly and it shocks you, here's what I want you to think in your head every time for the rest of your life. You ready? Turn and run. Every time you get shocked by something, you see something, an image, something on a computer screen, something on your phone, you hear something, you're a part of a conversation, and all of a sudden you're kind of gasping like, well, I can't believe they just said that, wow. That shock factor is your cue to turn and run. That's what wisdom will do. And you're gonna see with this young man who's filled with foolishness, he, he certainly does not do that. Now here's the problem. The problem kicks in when you stop being shocked. 
That's not a good thing. And this woman, she grabs this young man. It says she seizes him and she kisses him. And then what she says right here, church, it is simply awful. Verse 14, this is her words. I had to offer sacrifices and today I have paid my vows. What is she saying? This is what she's saying. Today I went to church. I've already paid my tithe. I have a peace offering. Have it with me. So that after we sin, we can offer up this peace offering together and we can be forgiven. It's awful. I've already been to church. I already have this offering with me. We can do whatever we want. We're set up then to say, sorry, and everything will be fine. One man actually told me who was having an affair, he said to me, but when we're together with the person he was having the affair with, we pray. I mean, that is screaming foolishness. That is the height of deception. That man was completely deceived to think, I'm going to come into the holy of holies with the person I'm having the affair with and use that as some kind of defense. Verse 15. So now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. Look at the preparation. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. Lust always tries to masquerade itself as love. What the world calls lust, the world calls lust, love. But can I say to you today that love is from heaven and lust is from hell. The world calls it making love. A one-night stand is not love. Love is spending 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years with the same woman raising children together. Verse 19, look at this poison. My husband is not at home, she says. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. Here's what foolishness will say to you. Man, this is so good. Please learn from this. Here's what foolishness will say to you. You won't get caught. You'll be the first person in the history of mankind to never get caught. Let me say it to you like this. Even right now, if you are engaging in disobedience and sin and, and hardcore foolishness, destructive foolishness for your life, even if you are successfully hiding that from your friends and your family and saying to yourself, I'm not going to get caught, that does not mean that you will not get caught by the king. To think that way is also the height of foolishness and deception. Or to think, I can do this, and there's just going to be no consequences for me. Verse 21, which with much seductive speech she persuades him. With her smooth talk she compels him. All at once he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare. Look at this. He does not know that it will cost him his life. 
Those are hardcore words. He does not know that it will cost him his life. Now, do you remember what we said at the beginning? Who was watching? Who saw all of this? Solomon. And many theologians believe that Solomon, as a godly king, had both of these young people killed as the law prescribed. And so when we read the words, he, does not, he did not know that it would cost him his life, he was doing this thing at night, convinced that nobody would catch him, that he would go down this road, that he could easily just have these sacrifices and just do what was wrong and then quickly be forgiven. What he did not know is that the king was watching. Verse 24, and now, O sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her path. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. I have seen too many men, and I know this is just one example in chapter 7, and it's an example of lust and sexual sin, but I've seen too many men fall to that particular kind of foolishness. And I tell you, the kinds of men that I have seen most often fall to this kind of foolishness and this bondage of lust have been very strong men, very successful men, very intelligent men, men with resources. Please hear that. Very last verse on, in this example. And this brings us to the end destination of the ultimate fool. Her house is the way to Sheol. Sheol is another word for hell. Going down to the chambers of death. And, th and that is the end destination. That is the, 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 the foregone conclusion of a life lived in this direction. It is judgment and it is death. And that is the ultimate example of a fool. Let's look at a second example, a final example. And it is the ultimate example of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 31. Okay, ladies, I know you're smiling. Yes, it's an example of the ladies. Chapter 31, look at this incredible person. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. It starts off, look at this virtuous person. Look at this capable and wise person. And the first thing that we see is probably the most key relationship in her life. And that is, and it mentions it right here, the person that she's married to. It's her husband. And what we immediately see in this relationship is, it says it, that there's trust in this relationship. She is blessing her husband, enriching the life of her husband. She is bringing good to the person that she loves the most. It says that she is more precious than rubies. Who is she most precious to? Well, that would be her husband. He knows that he's got a good thing going on. Totally reminds me of my wife. Major domestic credits for saying that in the middle of this sermon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all of you right now, I want you to type in on the side. If you, all the guys, if you know that you married up, I want you to type in right now in the comment section, I married up. And if your husband's not anywhere near the keyboard and the wife is near the keyboard, I want you to write, oh yes, he did. Uh, and, and that's what I'm saying right here today. I married up. This is like a description of my wife. She's incredible. Look at what else it says about her. This woman is incredible. She is so filled with wisdom. Look at, it says this, verse uh, 15. 
she finds wool and flax and busily spins it. She's like a merchant's ship, bringing her food from afar. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and plan the day's work for her servant girls. Look at this. Her hands are busy spinning thread, her fingers twisting fiber. Now, do you remember, I think it's week number three, do you remember the slothful man, the slothful woman? This person who was lazy, would never take any responsibility, was filled with excuses. And we said, like, nothing comes from that kind of life. Look at this prudent woman. She is the opposite of that. She's up and at it early. She has an incredible work ethic. She's delegating work to others. She's got a plan for the day, and she's putting her, whole, her own hands to work. Look at what she has planned for the day. Now that she's prepared food for everyone, and now that she's given out the tasks, and she's put the plan together, look at her plan. Here's the plan. Verse 16. She goes to inspect a field, and she buys it. With her earnings, she then plants a vineyard. So we, this is what the Word of God says. She is energetic and strong, a hard worker. That's not my commentary. Those are the words from the Bible. She makes sure her dealings are profitable. Her lamp burns late into the night. That is a key statement. Not everyone can burn a lamp late into the night. That speaks volumes about what she's doing. Now, I actually think her plan for the day, this buying a field and planting a vineyard, a vineyard it's incredibly fulfilling. And you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. There is no better work. How many of you have done a project and at the end of the day, you are, I mean, you're just tired. You are just dog tired, particularly if it's like a physical project. But at the end of the day, you look back and you look at the garden that you've planted, or you look at the room that you painted, or you look at the deck that you built, or the tires that you replaced on the car, and it was hard work, and it was toil and effort and sweat, and you look at that, and you, there's a sense of fulfillment in that kind of work and in the results of that kind of work that you would never feel had you just paid somebody else to do it. And that is what she is doing. She is putting a well-thought-through well plan into action. She's independent and strong and hardworking, and she's taking a risk. She's buying a field, and with her own money, she's planting a vineyard. She's bringing home the bacon. Don't miss it. The prudent person provides. The prudent person, and that's the description we get at the end of that scripture, she's able to keep her lamp burning late into the night. What does that cost? That costs money. And she's able to do that. Verse 21, she has no fear of winter for her household, for everyone has warm clothes. She makes her own bed spreads. She dresses in fine linen and purple gowns. She makes belted linen garments and sashes to sell them to merchants. She is clothed with strength and dignity. And she laughs without fear of the future. Don't you want that? I mean, how many of us today, particularly if we look at the context of this pandemic, would like the capacity to be able to say, I'm going to laugh at the future. I'm going to be filled with joy, not fear, about tomorrow. All of this speaks to her wisdom, her prudence, her work ethic, the provision. She is laughing about the future. There's no fear in her about tomorrow, 
Do you remember the simple person? I think it was like week number two, perhaps. The simple person. We said about the simple person, they have no capacity for forward thinking. Everything is one inch in front of their nose. Show me the next little bright, shiny thing, and I'm just going to pursue that in life. And they're easily led astray. Not her. She is ready for whatever comes her way. She is stocked up, saved up. Her house is in order. Her finances are in a great place. In fact, her financial house is in such good order. Watch what it gives birth to. Look at this in verse 20. She extends a helping hand to the poor and opens up her arms to the needy. What does this give birth to? Generosity. It is far more difficult for an impoverished fool to help a poor person. It's just harder. But she refuses to be a slave to money. She will not be a slave to debt. You see, she's wiser than that. She has spent a lifetime with a work ethic to avoid that kind of slavery. She has not overextended herself, buying things that she does not need to please people she doesn't even know. And now she has the joy of being able to pour out from her heart and her resources into the lives of people who genuinely need help. She's happy to do that. I was listening to the radio, it was several weeks ago, and there's a fellow on radio called Dave Ramsey. Maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't. Dave Ramsey is, I'm quite convinced, a follower of Christ, a strong believer, but uh, he's really known as a financial guru. He's a great financial advisor. And uh, we actually teach a course of his called Financial Peace University, usually about uh, twice a year at community church. Uh, But he posed this question on the radio as I was listening to him. He said, do you want to know what is the most fun I've ever had with my money? And then he just came out and said it. And I think everyone probably knows about this about the guy anyway. He said, I've got a lot of money. I I think Dave Ramsey is probably a multi-millionaire. And his story went something like this. He said, people tend to look at me and they kind of salivate. He said, because I've done it. I've I've got the money, I've bought the houses, I've bought the cars, I've I've taken the vacations, I've done those things. And he says, I get it. I get it that people, they they want those things. They're they're pursuing that with all of their time and effort and energy and their their work. There's a desire, there's a lure to, to have and possess and acquire those kinds of things. He says, I get it. He says, but I'll tell you the most fun I've ever had with my money. He puts some kind of program together, and this is in the past. He was referring to something from maybe a few years ago. And it went something like this. He had basically put a program together where it was all organized. These kids came into kind of, it was an inner city environment. And he just kind of stood back and he watched as these children came in. And he had bought a brand new bicycle for every one of these kids that were basically living under the poverty line. And he watched these children get this bicycle, something that they probably never could have afforded. And he just watched the smile on their face. He says, that's the best thing I've ever done with my money. That's the most fun, the most fulfilling thing I've ever done with my finances. Better than a new car, better than new clothes. I'm telling you. You see, the prudent person is able to manage their finances so the generosity pours out of their life. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to be a generous person? Look at her words. Look at her reputation. 26. And when she speaks, 
Her words are wise. And she gives instructions with kindness. Isn't that one? That's a great picture. Her children stand and they bless her. And her husband praises her. There are many virtuous and capable, capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. This guy's good. She is mentoring and discipling. She's just one of those people. Have you ever talked to someone and when they speak, you just know, I think I should just shut up and listen. I think I need to say nothing so that I can hear what they have to say. That's the kind of prudent person she is. Her reputation is very powerful. At the very beginning of this series, we stated the ultimate destination for the ultimate fool. And it was this proverb, chapter 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Look at now the prudent person. I want to show you the end destination of this ultimate sense of wisdom. But a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Reward her for all she has done. Church, these are two hugely different stories. Starting off in the same place, taking two paths and going to such different destinations. One, reward and life. The other, judgment and death. Can I just say to you, because God loves you, he gives you a choice in life as to which path you can take. And the ultimate reward, it's God himself. It's to live the God life, to know him and to love him and to find your identity and your purpose in him, to find that sense of satisfaction and that fulfillment in God. Today in his love, he has laid out in front of you two paths. And he says, follow me, be my disciple. I want you to bring others down the right path. It's your choice. It's your choice that you can make today. Even if you're 10 miles down the wrong path, you have a choice today to turn around, to reorient your life. I will empower you and I will help you to get onto the right path. Let me close this series with these words. They're slightly funny, but they're so perfect for this moment. D.L. Moody, he says this, I have had more trouble with myself than any other man I've ever met. Isn't that so true? It's your choice. I've had more trouble with me, with Alan Cullen, than I've had with any other person. It's your choice. God, I want to follow hard after you. Next Sunday, we are going to dive deep into six core principles of discipleship to really bolster onto this way of the wise. Each one of them are found down that path. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the book of Proverbs. And we do pray today, we ask that you would save us from ourselves, save us from pride and arrogance, save us from an unwillingness to be corrected, um, to even hear from a person of wisdom, to learn from another person. Save us from insatiable desire that causes us to live chasing something that's just an inch in front of our noses. Save us from simple-mindedness and folly and laziness, slothfulness, mockery, and then ultimately foolishness. God, would you help us shed a lifetime of foolish thinking and a lifetime of foolish habits? Would you please guide us along paths of righteousness for your namesake? Empower us on a daily basis to check in with you as to how we're thinking, how we're relating to other people, 
how we're acting, how we're working, how we're making decisions. And as we partner and cooperate with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, please fill our lives with knowledge and wisdom and understanding and discernment and prudence. I pray that so that we would become generous, hardworking, virtuous, well-spoken of, and so that we will not fear the future. I pray that for every person listening to my words today, that we would embrace the greatest wisdom of all, to know you and to follow after you, our greatest reward. Amen. God bless you, church. Love you loads. See you.